Hello, and welcome to episode 305 of the Crate and Crowbar PC Gaming Podcast being broadcast to you from the <laughs> 4th of December. Yes. Right. Yes. It is 4th of December. We're not being broadcast to you on the 4th of December, which is what I was going to say, because no. you could listen to it at any time. We have no control over that. Welcome, <laughs> Tom Senior, to this podcast. I'm Marsh Davis, by the way. It's a rare twofer. It uh, is. Every so often, uh, almost everyone in the Great Crowbar is busy or ill, and uh, it falls down to two uh, heroic gents to pick up the slack <laughs> and uh, talk about video games for one to two hours. We may have made the mistake of uh, opening a bottle of whiskey, <laughs> which is... Uh, we'll, see, we'll see how that ends. Uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> we aren't going to drink it all, though, Tom. We're not going to drink it all. We're going to drink a, 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 sensible a sensible amount, amount, a responsible amount. Correct. This being the season where people can overindulge in these sorts of pleasures. It's very true, but we're too disciplined for that. Aren't we, we are, much? definitely, <laughs> as you'll find out in an hour's time <laughs> or more. News. There has been some sad PC gaming news, hasn't there? Sort of sad and happy in a mm. way. I, I would say it's kind of like it's a mixed, a mixed bag. It's uh, it, the Valley of the Gods is on hold. Campo Santo have been subsumed fully into the Valve Matrix, and they've all found pleasure working on other projects within that. Yeah, it is. Place. I do feel weirdly ambivalent about it because, you know, I'm I'm not going to dictate what 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 they do with their lives of course yeah. you know yeah and i'm sure they're making valuable contributions and feeling fulfilled in other ways <laughs> and you know if they just naturally drifted away from the project they've been working on and you know that's 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 fine that's, that's for their well-being but at the same time i wanted to play that game yeah it seemed really good like a really good idea for a game yeah and maybe also, i mean yeah. maybe maybe it turned out that it was hard to chaperone into something delightful and fun but i would still like to see what the next Campo Santo game yeah, is, you know, what, yeah. what that team was going to do next. How they evolved after. and worked together and almost like the group dynamic that they had mm. already established with their previous game. Like how that kind of grows and changes and informs their next game and the, the game after that. that. There's a real value to teams staying together mm. and knowing each other and their, each other's talents and then producing increasingly good, good things. Yeah. Um, but it's always like, this is the promise of Valve, right? If you, if you work for Valve, You've got a desk that has wheels on it and you're supposed mm. to be able to wheel it to any other project and, uh, indulge your, you know, whatever nerdy desires you have, like games, uh, in terms of case development. It's, it's like a sort of, they, um, push it forward as a kind of, you know, paradise for game developers, but it's a paradise that doesn't publish many games mm. or release many games at all. And, uh, we saw, uh, Clayton Hawking, for example, he was there for years and nothing happened and now he's at Ubisoft and, He's making games now, and they're yeah. actually going to release them. So that's that's a novelty. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, I mean, if 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 Gabe Newell handed you a gun and said you can work on Half Life, but you must kill somebody <laughs> who you love, I mean, they're not got a chance, have they? That's true. It's very true. <laughs> you only get. I mean, this might be the last Half Life game. Mm. This might be the last chance you get in the world to work on Half Life, and that temptation is enormous i imagine for people who've grown up on those games and just loved valve stuff um and perhaps been inspired to go into game development because of valve's output yeah uh, the the opportunity to work on half-life alex would be too uh too strong to turn down yeah i don't feel the same pull towards dota to be frank but, but you know the same here but, but then chris <laughs> isn't here so yeah, like, yeah if chris was here maybe so um yeah but uh, i mean dota underlords like 
that's a kind of fun game. I enjoy it as a kind of, I play it like patience, like the card game patience. Hmm. Just as a kind of thing that happens. I, I enjoy watching American football and there's lots of downtime. Um, so play some Dota and Laws between kind of plays. That's a nice way to play that game. Right. Um, it's hard to take seriously as a game, but it's a nice thing. Hmm. It's a nice toy. And I can see the appeal of working on that as well because also the consequences are quite like low. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, like, Half-Life, the consequences are massive because it's such a huge, huge name on the internet. Like mm, The consequences of, of working on it, you mean? Or, yeah, or? consequences is not the right word. It's um, it's like, how hard can you fail on a given project? Right, yeah. I mean, Half-Life is the most... I mean, that's why they didn't call it Half-Life 3, right? Because, right. because of that fear of failing. Fear of failing on, on that particular yeah. brand name. Whereas those underlords, it's... You're banging any old chick. <laughs> pretty, kind of pretty much though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it's, it's distanced enough from the Dota brand and it's obviously different enough if, in terms of format that you, you aren't responsible for Dota. Yeah. Which is where you get people yelling at Ice Frog and, you know, screaming at people, um, who are working on the, uh, the latest patch or whatever. You don't get to, you don't have to endure that. You can mm-hmm. just enjoy developing this game and not have to worry about the horrendous outside world. <laughs> I do, I do hope that, uh, the whole Valley of the Gods, um, diaspora to other projects was mutual. Cause mm. it would be awful if everybody just wheeled their desks away from you and you're the last person. Oh, God, you're like, yeah. I, I, don't, I, I don't know how to do you. I, I'm still designing sounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how to do hand animations. <laughs> it does. Ah, uh, it is a shame though. That, that game did, uh, sort of capture my imagination, right? Cause I've always, yeah. always really loved, uh, ancient Egypt and archaeology and, yeah, photography and games that sound really cool. That's yeah. great. It sounded really good. It did. It's yeah. never gonna happen, is it? No, probably not. <laughs> That's quite sad, <laughs> yeah. isn't it? It's it feels like a game we can return to, said, uh, said Jake. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, I can. <laughs> can, but, but... I'd say, I did, did you, did you read the statement? I did, yes. It was very kind of mealy-mouthed and... Well, did you think so? Because I thought it was very, I thought it was a very admirable uh, piece of PR. <laughs> okay, okay. In that, um, having written apologies <laughs> of this kind before, it was incredibly unapologetic. And the last thing you want to do if, if you make a decision, which is you know, for yourselves essentially is to apologize to an audience because that then gives them a sense that they should feel aggrieved. That they're wronged. Yeah. yeah. So it was really interestingly written in that it completely stripped out any kind of engagement with the disappointment people might feel. Mm. It wasn't about that. It was about, this is just how things have gone. And uh, that's, that's great. How it is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we're all happy now in the Valve paradise. Yeah. F- fair enough. Fair play to them. But yeah, I would still yeah, like to play Family of the Gods. No, no ill will at all. But it's, it, it, it's a shame. It's, it's, um, I think it does, uh, demonstrate something that does happen at Valve where talent mm-hmm. goes in there and just vanishes into, uh, compartments where you never quite understand what, what they're doing. So what the Camposanto people bring to those projects will never quite know. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of sad, really. <laughs> Is that, I wish that that company for all its flat, flat structure would reward, not reward, but like, uh, push forward its talent more and like, mm. uh, say, oh yeah, this person, like Victor Antonov got this treatment on mm. earlier half, half life games, but hardly anyone ever does. And I wish that Valve would recognize its talent more in its final products and say, this person is did this and this person did this. Yeah. I wonder though. I, I don't think all, all developers always want that. You know, there is, mm. I mean, um, 
I think with a Swedish company, I don't know if this is just the, the Swedish culture where people tend to be quite diffident and uh, yeah. not reluctant to take praise or reluctant to be in the spotlight. But um, there's a sense I know, that people are quite happy being uh, a part of a, a greater whole. <laughs> you didn't <laughs> you want know? to be like celebrities or called out. Into. No, especially given, you know, Steam's platform would put people in front of a horrible audience. Yeah, that's a good point, you know. I mean, it's better just to be anonymous, isn't it? In yeah, it probably senses. is, actually, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking it's about um, playing more Death Stranding and thinking about oh, yeah. Kojima. And he sort of takes credit for everything, it seems. Mm. Like, he's he's such a celebrity, basically. That's part of why he gets to have funding for the insane projects that he does. Um, but I wonder if, like, part of that is being a shield for Kojima Productions' workforce as much as yeah. it is taking credit for their actions. Um and I was wondering, like, the landscape design in uh, Death Stranding is absolutely extraordinary. It's beautiful, really oh. gorgeous. And I don't know whether that was, like, procedurally generated and then adapted or whether it was designed or, by someone, like, who actually built it. Like, mm. and it's very, very hard to tell. Wasn't it made by... I'm, I'm completely off piece here. Was it made by Avalanche? Really? Oh, did they generate... I had a feeling like that the, the the landscape of the engine was something they had acquired from another studio, huh. non-Japanese studio, but I can't... I mean, Avalanche would make sense, given... Yeah, I may have made the way that. Just called, I might have been a <laughs> cheese dream I had, a really, really <laughs> uninteresting cheese dream about engines. <laughs> what if Avalanche made this trending? Yeah. <laughs> it's quite plausible, though, given that mm. they specialise in sort of semi-procedurally generated landscapes that are epic and look amazing. Yeah. Uh, I got a new television today. Mm. It's a, it's a big fat television. It's f- like 4K HDR mm-hmm. backlighting and Death Stranding looks fucking amazing <laughs> on it. It's so good and it's ridiculous. Like it's an incredible looking game. I, I kind of love it now. <laughs> As a result of the television. It's helped it. Yeah, absolutely. Because anything that enhances those landscapes enhances the, the experience of struggling to conquer them. Mm. Uh, so it, it's a, it's one of those, I hate to be like the Gognardi. Oh, good PC graphics are really nice and make things better. But sometimes for some game experiences, yeah. they do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. What have you been playing? I've been playing that uh, Call of Call of Duty. Never heard of it. What is it? It's a, some sort of um, shooting brown people simulator. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and unfortunately, it's, no, it's not managed to quite get away from oh dear. get away from that uh, legacy. Uh, it's actually the best Call of Duty in years. Uh, but having oh, right. s- having said that, it's quite a low bar to clear. <laughs> um, but this one is actually uh, at least sort of a bit self-aware about how awkward it is that you go to uh, made up if half a scan. Uh, what, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> scan? It's just a, an invented sort of okay. Middle Eastern country. And then, uh, you have to battle lots of Russians for some reason. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, about, like, Russians were very annoyed by this because, like, the Russians are just gassing children in this game and, like, bombing people indiscriminately. Mm. And the Russians are the bad guys again now. So that's allowed in <laughs> modern yeah. Western pop culture. Um, it's, it's kind of fascinating to track Call of Duty's villains over the years mm. because they correspond precisely to the the politics of the current yeah. moment nazis russia it, taliban taliban yeah russia again russia again <laughs> russia's back everybody russia's back uh at this time you get to fight with some um freedom fighters not terrorists this oh, time yeah. and so you get multiple perspectives on the conflict hmm. 
that uh, are they freedom fighters fighting for freedom against the uh, terrible Russians? Yes. Or, okay. Of not- course. Oh, don't don't get me wrong. <laughs> like the Russians are still absolutely the, the super bad guys here. Hmm. Um, they're the ones that like you do a kind of defense mission and like dozens of trucks will come up and Russians will run up a hill at you and you have a big sniper rifle and you just mow them down one after another. So it's it's still Call of Duty in that respect. It's right. still xenophobic. It's still xenophobic. It's still like kind of cashing in on the the villain of the moment in the American psyche mm. and uh, exploiting that for its uh, dramatic points. Um, however, like some of the missions are very, very good and also troublesome. <laughs> so uh, the best missions it does are house raids, basically, where you're playing as special forces and you're going into a completely dark house and you've got night vision and um, the geometry of the levels are completely one-to-one. They're not expanded. Like hmm. it's designed to feel claustrophobic, and uh, you go up and you have to clear rooms basically. And it's slightly absurd. It's almost like kind of time cop, or it's, it's almost like kind of like a laser gun shooter, where you you'll kind of you can bust into a room by pressing F, or you could sort of like move very slowly forwards and then sort of like check your corners and get someone. But then a terrorist will crawl out from under a bed and <laughs> shoot at you. Oh no, the terrorist of the bed kill him. Um, or there'll be like a terrorist who's like, Oh no, there's a woman holding a child. But, oh, she's pulled a gun. Time to kill the woman. And, uh, it's, there's lots of screaming and very realistic execution of the, like the soundscape of a house like this. And so there are people shouting upstairs that you can hear who are panicking because they're hearing the gunshots downstairs and you're slowly going up and you could be shot at any moment. So you automatically try and shoot everyone that you see. But of course there are children in there and innocent people who are not armed. And mm. it, it, the moment you shoot one of them, uh, game over, you have to start again and do the house again. And this is a very odd interpretation of that. Yeah. Um, it is like the game is called Modern Warfare. It's a reboot of Modern Warfare, and that is Modern Warfare. Like it, it is special forces going into places they don't understand and trying their very, very best <laughs> to kill the right people, mm. and they often fail. Uh, so this is they've tried to interpret that in the format of a fun video game. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> ideal way, really. I suppose so. And while audiovisually it's incredibly successful and it's mm. incredibly tense, um, you come out feeling mucky. You come out yeah. feeling icky, and maybe well, that's the you result. get dirty, so the world stays clean. I know that's the terrible line in the yeah. that justifies all of it. Um, what about what if what if everybody just stayed stay clean? Yeah, what if <laughs> well, you didn't just go to the house and murder a load of women <laughs> for no yeah. reason? <laughs> um, yeah, so I, it it's still trying to tread this line between. It still does the thing where when you die, it shows a war quote. Hmm. It's still trying to be serious, but it's not a serious game. Like, even though the performances are good, hmm. a lot of the acting is very good. Uh, a lot of the kind of setup is very serious and it feels like a really good war movie. Um, but when you're actually doing the things, it still has that uncomfortable, mucky, grim aspect to it, which I think it thrives on. I think that's what it wants you to feel, uh, but I don't necessarily enjoy it. Um, but having said that, it's a good Call of Duty game mm. based on its own terms of what, what it wants to do. It succeeded, I think. Would it be kind of less morally repugnant if the murdering was unproblematic or presented in an unproblematic way? I don't know how they could present it unproblem- <laughs> unproblematically. Like, I don't... 
Well, this is what I mean. Like, uh, right. I mean, if if they presented everybody as uh, obvious bad guys who you are gunning down, then that also does a disservice to reality. <laughs> yes, that's very. true. But then, then having this, uh, yes, these murky situations, I don't know. I mean, this is why maybe video- just don't make videos about that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, this is why video games use Nazis forever. Yeah, because they're the un- unproblematic bad guys. Basically, mm. you, you shoot them and that's it. And it's fine. They're Nazis. Um, which is weird in and of itself if you interrogate it for more than a second. But is if they, it's it's the thing about being a bunch like of white special forces dudes going into a random like an invented Middle Eastern space and shooting up women and men in their own homes is just a grim thing to depict in a game, irrespective mm-hmm. of the kind of ca- uh, the couching that you, the way you couch it, basically. Yeah, I mean. No matter how problematic they make that or how difficult they make it to discern villains from innocence, I mean, the context of it is still uh, in a game and thus sort of de facto celebratory in some way. Yeah. It's still, it's still, it's still an endorsement, trip. right? It's of, still of, a power trip. Yeah. yeah. And I, I don't know that you can really get away from that mm. without doing a lot of work around, around it. I don't know how you do it. I think they're basically relying on the audience to not care about it. Yeah, I'm sure nobody does. Uh, which, which is fine, which is fine, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it's still, a, it's a good cod though, like, in terms of the, the way the guns feel, the way it hmm. reads, the way it looks, it looks way better than Octavia the Engine. Uh, it's a much better looking game. Multiplayer still feels great. Sounds amazing. Um, they've done everything that they need to do to make a good shooter, but these... The, the modern warfare label in particular still comes with a lot of caveats and a lot of mm. problems, I think. Um, so it's not, it's not a recreation of the, f- of modern warfare scene by scene then. It's, it's, it's not at all. No, right. it's, it, it, it takes some of the ideas of the original modern warfare games and sort of adapts them in different ways. So instead of mm. all gillied up, which is a very famous stealth mission in yeah, yeah. modern warfare, which is very, very good. Um, they'll do it where you're actually, you're a child and you're there with your child brother. And that's their version of all giddied up where you follow your brother around and sort of put gas masks on and, hmm. uh, stab Russians. <laughs> as a child. In, in the thigh as a child. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so th- th- it does that too, but <laughs> there are basically, and there's an equivalent of the AC 30 mission. Yeah. Um, there's the version of that as well. So they sort of nods back to the original Modern Warfare missions. So, but t- tell me more about this being a child. Thing. I don't, <laughs> it's a bit of a non sequitur. Yes. Uh, so we have to be children. So the world stays. <laughs> doesn't really work as a no um, tagline. It's a flashback uh, for one of the main characters. Yeah. How she became the freedom fighter that she, you meet uh, at the start of the game. Okay. And um, uh, I don't want to spoil anything necessarily, but um, you're thrust into a terrible situation where the Russians have gassed the town. And the Russians are coming in with their machine guns and big muscles. Um, and you, a tiny child, you have to crawl through grates and uh, go from room to room, pick up screwdrivers and gradually stabbing a man in the leg until he falls over. <laughs> At which point you eventually get... How many different screwdrivers have you been inserting into this? Uh, I counted four during wow. my playthrough. That's a lot of screwdrivers it's just screw- lying around. He, he also took it. <laughs> really well like he was still walking around he's still shouting oh. where are you ah! um and eventually you, you find a gun and like you're a child so you can't handle it at all so you, you just press the right trigger and it rockets up to the ceiling but you manage to kill the man hmm. and um then you take his gas mask and then you wander out into the streets and try and survive and it's a 
Scream stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it sounds horrible. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah, it's pretty horrible. It's bad. Um, they, they warn you uh, when you boot up the game, like you're going to see uh, all difficult scenes. You're going to see they mm. they do that every Call of Duty. Um, it's like, but for what though? <laughs> like, to what end? Like, mm. I, it doesn't really make me more invested in this character. It just feels like. Again, a kind of another shock mission from Call of Duty, which they do every single time. And it's just more for the op-eds rather than yeah. in service of the story or in service of any kind of greater point. Um, still quite fun though. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you enjoy COD multiplayer in general? Like are you in? Have you uh, been a fan of that in the past? Only in a, a purely casual sense. Like, right. it's something I'll do for 20 minutes. And uh, I find it intensely frustrating for, frustrating for more than that because it seems like purely opportunistic multiplayer where you're just running around and sort of shooting the first thing you see, which yeah. is fine to an extent. But there's, I mean, I've, I'm just so addicted to a destiny multiplayer, which is about like positioning and mm-hmm. having the right guns and also being a good shot as well. Uh, and that's just is a richer experience, online experience right. for me than Call of Duty ever will be. But I can understand why, like if you get home after the pub and you've got it on your PS4, boot it up, shoot some guys for an hour. I can understand like, that is a casual kind of, uh, measured type of multiplayer experience rather mm-hmm. than something I'd want to invest in. Who, is it Treyarch who made this? Uh, no, this is Infinity Ward. Oh. Such as they are. I mean, right. m- most of the Infinity Ward moved to Respawn. Um, yeah. So I'm not sure who actually really Inf- Infinity Ward are these days. Hmm. Uh, but they've made a good single player campaign. They've, they've made a good COD, basically, hmm. like for the, a better one than I've played for a long time. Does it have uh, the zombies mode that was always a hallmark of the Treyarch? It does not. Uh, that's Treyarch's uh, thing. trademark thing. Yeah, yeah that they do. Um, it's got some co-op missions and stuff that I've not tried yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm looking forward to trying those because they used to be quite good, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm always impressed. I mean, I you know, I don't love Call of Duty, but they they are value for money, yes, right? I mean, you yes. get a fucking ton of stuff with each game. Absolutely. Lots, Especially, lots of different modes and, you know, fully featured co-op missions on the side as well. It's, I mean, it's an impressive... Given that it's the kind of game that people will buy... And they don't buy any other games that year because they're yeah. usually quite casually engaged with the gaming scene. I mean, it is really well designed for that purpose. Yes, yeah, it's spot on, isn't it? It's just a really good package and it's just the right price for what it is as well. Like, yeah. um, even if you don't get zombies and stuff, you, the fact that you get a, it's a really long single player campaign as well. It's like mm. 10 to 12 missions, something like that. It's really, really good. Um, and you get all that multiplayer as well and the co-op. It's, it's, it's a, as you say, it's a really good package. Yeah. Mm. Would it be better if you could uh, bang Captain Price? I mean, that's what we want to do. Yeah. It's about time that quick quick time event was inserted to <laughs> yeah. the Call of Duty universe. <laughs> Captain Price looks really weird in this one, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah, because actually I went to a Call of Duty preview event where the actors were there who played all the main, including Captain Price. Uh, and incredibly handsome, beautiful people, as you'd expect. Uh but in the game, it's kind of like a weird podge face. Oh, really? And his eyes are really strange. <laughs> his voice is very good and gruff, and as you'd expect, and as it should be. But his face is really strange. It's really odd. It's like huh. too young for his beard. <laughs> and, uh, and his eyes are just not old enough for his face. <laughs> it's, it's just a bit oh. off. It's just a bit off. There's something wrong about that. There's something very wrong about Wasn't that. He, didn't he play like a serial killer on Emmerdale or something like that? <laughs> I, all I want to say is that I don't want to bang the price that's in oh. Call of Duty Modern Warfare. I think they could do better. 
<laughs> Got to do better next time. Yeah. <laughs> what have you been playing, Marsh? Uh, I played, um, I've been playing a game called Still There. Uh, on the recommendation of uh, John Walker, who's just set up, uh, formerly of RPS, who's just set up a website dedicated to um, highlighting largely unknown games. Oh, that's cool. Uh, which is a good service to provide. RPS already does a similar thing with um, Sin Vega's column yeah, on unknown games, unknown pleasures, which is fantastic. Uh, but uh, this is uh, John's own site dedicated to that. And... Uh, he's already, he launched it today and there's a whole bunch of, um, reviews he's already put up. A lot of the games look really good. Um, sweet. So he's, he's, he's done a really good job of curating something, some interesting stuff and a real mixture of stuff as well. Mm. Um, some, you know, you know, indie-ish platformers, which I would, you know, are, there are too many of, generally <laughs> speaking, but he's picked interesting ones and yeah. there, then there are some puzzle games, which are also sort of iPhone puzzle games and, um, some sort of narrative-led games. Uh, Still there is one of those. It's a. It's almost. It's. It's somewhere between um, uh, a simulation game and a point-and-click. It's point-and-click in that there is a sort of narrative that you have to progress through. So there are things that you need to point-and-click in order. Mm-hmm. But at your disposal, you're sort of seated in the middle of this space pod somewhere in deep space. Um, and uh, around you is your habitat, basically. You can mm. s- kind of spin the camera around and everything you need to touch is just in front of you in 360 degrees. Um, but there's, there's lots of little things to play with. There's a f- fucking iguana there that you can feed. Oh, nice. Um, you know, everything, you know, and you can look at and it tells you about <clears throat> your character's perspective on it. And there's also incredibly complicated, uh, uh, Dials and knobs and plugs and sockets. Yes. And all kinds of things that you really have to probably understand and rewire and <laughs> engage with. That's a lot. I, I, uh, yeah. Jo- and John's review, he said, uh, I thought it was just a joke when I picked up the <laughs> manual and it's like this, you know, uh, you know, 20 page thick manual with really dense uh instructions and diagrams on it but no you really have you to you really have to understand that shit, understand <laughs> oh, shit. and it's really good uh oh, like, okay. um i really yeah i i, I did I, it's a little bit intimidating when you have just this giant array of knobs and dials in front of you mm. um but you know it they have been designed to fulfill a purpose and there are instructions that help you understand them um and there's just something really the whole thing is um uh, painted really nicely and it's, it's all 2D. Um, but the, um, there's a real kind of tactile sense to these little kind of whirring boxes and yeah, nice. circuitry and big chunky screens with nice dials on them. And it feels really nice to just flip an on switch on and off. Yeah. And there's, there's something very therapeutic about playing with those kinds of, uh, devices. I don't know if you've seen this. I might have posted it in our Discord channel, but there's this really satisfying video. I think it's somebody booting up or or, or testing the systems. It seems like it's on a train, right. but it's really – so this this guy comes into this control room and he has to flip a whole bunch of switches and he pulls you – know, then he gets access to this key cabinet and then he has to open this door with a kind of elaborate way. And then he goes through this thing where there's all these pipes and these – uh, uh, and levers, and he can only turn the levers after he's turned a key. And the key, t- once you turn the key, allows you to pull out a different key with a different color. And you put that colored key into the colored 
slot and you turn that and that allows you to pull out another key with a different color and this is ridiculous it's succession crazy. of of it's just so incredibly video gamey but just amazingly mesmerizing and therapeutic to watch is this why all the trains are fucking later <laughs> every day of the week well i hope first great western doesn't have the same <laughs> procedure <either. Yeah>, nuclear <laughs> yeah. deployment ridiculous yeah. yeah but uh so the so aside from sort of fussing with all these switches and dials and you know doing sort of maintenance routines and recycling your piss as coffee that kind of thing fantastic um it's also it's also a game which has uh, a narrative in it and, and uh, your character has suffered a, a tremendous loss personal loss 20 years ago um and has basically buried himself in deep space to to kind of right n- as a kind of uh, act of self-annihilation mm. uh, but also uh, a refusal to move on from the point in which he he suffered this tragedy he just wants to sort of exist in the in, in this tragic space for the rest of time <laughs> um but then uh spooky weird things start happening to him mm. and i i fucking love sad sad people in space is <laughs> one of my favorite things like I love 2001 and Solaris is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, yeah, of course, it is yeah. fucking amazing. And this has exactly that sort of, Love it's, it's like more awesome. comic than Solaris. Uh, there's lots of, uh, <laughs> wanking material strewn about your, your pods. <laughs> As there With, would be. I, I think so. Yeah. It's fairly kind of frank about it. Um, <laughs> um, but it has that same, uh, supernatural slash sci-fi vibe about, uh, people, coming to terms with themselves and what it means to be a, a, a flawed human and memory and suffering mm. all these other things on the edge of uh, you know the cold vacuum of space yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That's, that stuff's good that, shit. that's an entire genre of thing isn't it like yeah and a good one, a good one. <laughs> yeah. what's the one where he goes into a black hole oh it's uh, like four hours long <laughs> When it goes into a black hole, not the um, uh, Nolan film. In the no, uh, no, Ad Astra. I've not. Seen oh, I haven't yet. seen that. No, no, I've not seen it yet. Apparently, that's a sad dad in space one. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one to do. Um, oh, I, I can't remember the name. I'll, I'll remember it later in the podcast. I'm sure. It's not Event Horizon. It's not Event Horizon. That's a hilarious film. <laughs> it's extremely <laughs> funny horror film. Yeah. <laughs> I guess it has the, the same sort of staples as it's Andrew, not Andrew Neil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> that guy anyway this is why we don't talk about films sam neil sam neil thank you yeah thank you. interviewing joe swinson <laughs> with half his face ripped off <laughs> sam neil is like a sort of <laughs> does he have any personality it's really hard to i like him in Jurassic park um but he basically doesn't have ever have to be anyone in any of the films he's in he's... i remember he presented like, a series uh, for the bbc about space and it was absolutely terrible. About space as a result of this? No, no I, it was a separate thing that he did, like, uh, when his career appeared to have died. Oh, yeah. And it was, like, early CG of planets spinning around him. And he very blankly said things about space into the camera <laughs> okay. with no wonder or sort of sense of excitement oh. at all. And it was terrible. He's, he's, uh, he's very good on Twitter. Really? Oh, yeah, and he sort of, uh, spends most of his time on his vineyard in, uh, in New Zealand. Uh, oh, and really nice. likes cuddling pigs and ducks, basically. Oh, shit. I'll and it's just, it's, it's just a, a nice man telling you about wine and pigs. <laughs> that is exactly the Twitter account I want to follow <laughs> yeah. in 2019. Yeah. And 2020 going forward. So that's lovely to know. Yeah. Sorry, a bit of distraction there. 
No, I mean, that's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would improve everybody's life, I think. <laughs> I think so as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't quite know where the game's going yet. I haven't finished it, but it's, it's intriguing and, and, uh, and a pleasant experience so far. Love, love a good button in a game. Yeah, good buttons. Mm. I also finished Disco Elysium. Ooh. Uh, which is great. And I really hope, uh, other people on the podcast finish it soon so I can, Maybe can we can do a spoiler cast. But yeah. it is, it is, uh, it's fantastic. Um, and, I feel like there's a few things about it that I would wish would were, were different, um, but they only slightly diminish what is probably my definitely my favorite game of this year and probably my favorite game of several years. Mm. I think, like towards the end of the game, you kind of you're yearning for some fast travel because you are running from one end of this uh, right. island chain to the other and back and forth, and you can't you have to constantly click. You can't just yeah you know, right. click once and have them go there, um, and. I wish there was more reliable autosave, but only because, so here's a, th- so here's something about the game. Like I got really angry with it at one point, um, because I, uh, I'd found myself in this encounter, which uh, I couldn't escape. And I had really high percentage chances on all of the dice rolls, which happened in quick succession and failed every single oh, one shit. of them with completely disastrous consequences like actually kind of nightmarish oh my god i don't know how this game is going to continue <laughs> after this point kind oh of my goodness. Uh, terror um and i thought well i'm gonna save scum this obviously aren't i but then it hadn't saved for 45 minutes <gasps> and every other save in the game because like you can scroll back through all your saves every other save in the game that i've done manually has been preceded or or uh, what's the opposite of proceeded? Followed, I guess, <laughs> by an autosave within two or three minutes, making them almost functionally pointless. But for some reason... 45 I, minutes? It didn't save 45 minutes. And a whole bunch of really key stuff had happened. Right, 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 right. Uh, so I don't know why it didn't save. But I, I... I don't know if I regret this now, but I went back uh, to the earlier save 45 minutes ago and did it all again. Mm. And I think that was the wrong thing to do. Mm. Like Owning those decisions, Marsh. I should have, well, the thing is, it, well, what annoyed me about it is it did, they didn't feel like my decisions. Right. Uh, because I'd done all the right things. I clicked all the right choices and dice rolls just didn't go in my favor sure. like eight times in a row. And so on, naturally I'm really angry about that. Mm. Uh, cause you don't like losing, but yeah. I shouldn't feel that way about this particular game. I think, I think it's a game about mistakes and being a, shambles man you you aren't you aren't that character you are yes. deciding things for them but they have, they they have their own reality yeah right right and i feel like it's it was legitimate of the game to say no you did all the right things and you still it still failed and that's just the way <laughs> things are dipshit <laughs> well no no i mean <laughs> no it's just it's just it's just happenstance things go against you sometimes yeah sure and I, I've seen other people, um, we talked about it some time ago or when we were talking about discoalism, uh, on a previous podcast where we talked about uh, a video where somebody was really upset that, um, they were given these terrible racist essentially options or bigoted options. I can't remember exactly what was said. Right. Um, and they couldn't, they couldn't back out of it. And one of the only dialogue, one of the only non committal options was like, wow, these options are terrible, aren't they? And you still, <laughs> then you click on that. You still have to say them because right. you, because your characters failed a rhetoric check, right? Right, right, right. right because right. you failed other checks in the past that have pushed you to this point. And it's not, 
it's not on you. You know, it's not mm. your fault that your character has to say these terrible things. However, that's the way the fucking chips have fallen. Yeah, right, right. And you have to eat those fucking chips. It's fascinating to be sort of carried along by a character that you're supposed yeah. to be your avatar. Like, it's, it's such a different dynamic for... Uh, it's a, a role-playing RPG. game, you know, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, right? It's like, oh, it's like a 50-50 split. It's you and this shambles bollock <laughs> man who's yeah. an idiot. He's not an idiot, but like he's, mm-hmm. he's struggling. Yes. <laughs> Let's say that. Um, and there's a kind of push and pull between the player and the protagonist, which is absolutely fascinating and brilliantly written, I'd mm. say. And gosh, it's going to get a lot of Game of the Year awards, I think. Oh, deservedly. Mm. I really, though now I'm like, oh, I wonder what, how, how any of that would have played out had I gone down Nightmare Road rather than what turned out to be probably the best possible ending. <laughs> I feel I did, I did really well. I did, I, you did I, it. I, yeah. You won the game. I, well, I, I, I didn't commit to, uh, vile racism or communism or, uh, or any of the, uh, other terrible isms that you can, um, it, apply you yourself occupy. to. Yeah. Uh, I did, I did become a, a, a centrist, but I don't really feel that that was, um, that, that was my fault either. <laughs> the, the game hates you for being a centrist as well, right? Yeah, yeah it does. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel like out of all of them, that's a li- it's a little unfair to put all these different things uh, at parity because I think you can, you can pick and choose between good elements of, of a lot of different ideologies yeah, sure. and that doesn't make you a centrist. That makes you, uh, you know, discerning. <laughs> Not a nice person perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it is, it is good. And it does, uh, uh, a lot of those, those kind of political choices at the beginning seem quite crude, um, become kind of more, uh, significant in the overall theme and mm. the story of the game. Uh, I do wish it was a little bit lit, less digressionary. There's quite a lot of quests that don't really seem to have anything to do with your main investigation. And yeah. it's kind of passed off as being your, your character's uh, detective style is that he's this freewheeling kind of, uh, almost Dirk, Dirk Gently-ish. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, holistic detective where everything is connected mm. and he just stumbles through reality and then finds himself in the, in the right place. But, um, uh, I found myself tapping my foot with some of that stuff because I really, I was really engaged by the central mm. mystery mm. and there are certain points where you want to push on with that. And also, I don't know if this is wholly true, but there seem to be a, a, a few bottlenecks in the game where you can't progress unless you do one thing, and right. that one thing is fucking nuts in at least two different cases. Okay. Um, and it's just like, oh, that's, and I'd already got to the point in the game where I was ignoring dialogue choices. I don't want to say everything. It's not one of those kind of exhaust every option games because yeah. you're, again, you're being a character. And so there were just some dialogue options that just seemed like dumb dialogue options that I wasn't going to pick. Um, but then out of exasperation, I eventually did pick it and it, it opened up an action, which I would never have thought was possible as a result of that oh, dialogue right, option. Yeah. Uh, and it feels a bit weird that the game trammels you in that way mm-hmm. in certain points. I don't, maybe there are alternative ways of approaching those, those, those bottlenecks, but I, I have no idea what they were. I felt like I'd spent a couple of hours just wandering around, not knowing what to do, huh. which is pretty annoying. I wonder if that's a sort of a pragmatic almost writing exercise if you're trying to build this sort of game you 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 can widen it and widen it but it has to come back to a a crunch point until Mm -hmm. you can create that next sort of wide set of options again otherwise you end up in uh, like alpha protocol territory where right uh, there there are just so many different paths through the game that is almost unwritable 
but yeah, that's still a kind of disappointment. Like that stuff should be flagged better by the sounds of it than it is. Um, I'm still on the sort of first couple of acts of it. So like learning the politics of the, <laughs> the union and the, the big companies that kind of try and prey on the people in the town. It's absolutely fascinating game. Yeah. Cool. So good. Well, we'll do a, a game of the year podcast. Probably. Yes, yes. Maybe a game of the decade podcast. Do you yeah, want to pick a, a game for each year? Yeah. Maybe we should. God, it's going to be a five-hour podcast, but it's going to be good. <laughs> no, we don't have to talk about all of them. <laughs> <laughs> we just have to say the name of the game and that's it. Yeah, maybe for the, you know, nine years and then the, then we can do this year's in sure. depth. Maybe. <laughs> it's the, never going to happen. That discipline that, is never going to be enforced. Those game of the year podcasts go long anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I enjoy them very much, but... If we introduce the decade, <laughs> we'll all be skeletons, skeletons by the end. Yeah, or just incredibly drunk. <laughs> yeah, both probably. Almost certainly going to happen. Before we get to questions, Tom, I have yes. a question for you. Oh. It's a Tom Clancy question. Uh-oh. Tom Clancy's questions. <laughs> from questions. <laughs> from questions. Uh, have you seen the new Jack Ryan uh, season of Jack Ryan? <laughs> I've, I've only seen... Uh, some trailers in which a man from the American office jumps off a building while being pursued by a, another boring looking man. <laughs> yeah, he is a strange choice for an action <laughs> hero. He's too soft faced. Well, in- I'm used to him being a comedy actor. So now him being like sort of hardcore Jack Ryan, Tom Clancy, though. <laughs> well, to be right. honest, he could bring a bit more comedy to that role. Like it's a super, super kind of dead deadpan not deadpan it's just flatlined flatlined kind of performance it's, dead it's, faced yeah there's a operative occasionally there'll be a tiny bit of banter but mm. really it's it's just so just so one note serious but so i have a weird uh pleasure about tom clancy uh <laughs> paraphernalia <laughs> uh books yes. and games and such do go um I think he was an interesting man. He, uh, yes. uh, you know, not to uh, oversell his dramatic credentials, which, you know, sometimes left things to be desired, but, um, uh, I, I do recall that like, uh, some of his early novels spooked people who were actually part of the military industrial complex because they were seemingly so perspicacious about the operations of submarines mm. and such that uh, they thought he must have like an inside line. He's <laughs> um, understood the military. He did understand the military. Yeah. And I, I think um, a lot of, I mean, obviously there's a kind of a lot of tub thumping, um, jingoism that either comes from those novels or is laid onto them by the people who adapt them. Uh, which is, is often unpalatable, I think. Uh, but it just reminded me you talking about COD, cause this is just the new season oh, that this came sure. out. Yeah. The last season was actually, I don't want to say it was good, but it was so much better than I thought it was going to be that it's, huh. I kind of, I, I kind of enjoyed the first season. I was like, oh, this, that, that's, that's actually not a totally stupid way of looking at this. It's <laughs> quite, there's some nuance there. It's humanized the kind of position of the enemies and, and ultimately, you know, it does support, you know, kind of without criticism, uh, American hegemony, but, sure. uh, at the same, at the same time, it still had, it still had a bit more kind of complexity to it than I think a lot of, uh, you know, Gerard Butler's stuff, yeah, you know, sure. you know, yeah, it's still yeah. a bit more complex, but the second season isn't, isn't really, uh, it's, it's kind of garbage. Oh no. <laughs> but the, um, 
<laughs> one, one thing just really amused me in it, which is that, I mean, the Ameri- you know, the, 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 the CIA go all over the world. It's a bit of a globe chopping thing. There's a bit in, there's quite a lot. It's all set in Venezuela, apart from the parts that are set in London. Um, and, uh, there's exciting chase scenes and things. But at one point, um, Jack Ryan vaults over, uh, barricades at a train station. And I'm like, that just seems so ludicrous that anybody could get away with that now. <laughs> you know? Like he'd be tasered. I mean, the, the plainclothes policeman would, worse, would have yeah. shot him by, by yeah. him. Um, I mean, you know, the Brazilian is, man was shot for doing that. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, yeah. And he wasn't armed, whereas Jack Ryan apparently somehow had Super guns armed. all over him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All the time. Anyway, that's, I don't know why I wanted to tell you about that, but it's, I, so. I enjoyed that. That was good. And um, does it make me want to watch it? Almost. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say, wouldn't say you should. The, um, the first it, season, I would be interested as <laughs> in somebody sane who doesn't have my weird hard on for Tom Clancy, watch the first <laughs> season and tell me whether I'm mad in thinking it's better I, I, than it should be. I, I will do the service for you, Mike. <laughs> Thank you. I will do this. Um, only because like I, um, enjoyed reading Tom Clancy novels when I was a teenager. Hmm. And yeah. uh, I also enjoyed reading The Hardy Boys as a teenager. Yeah. And you enjoy lots of stupid shit when you're a teenager. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and actually the politics of it never percolated, like it never actually kind of went into my brain and like in- influenced my v- modern views. But it's a, like, it's a very comforting fantasy hmm. that, um, so I, I read Rainbow Six, which is fucking yeah. a massive book as well. Hmm. Like it's like 900,000 pages or something. Um, there's something comforting about there being the idea of the US as the problem solver gets the job done yeah no matter what it's that comforting fantasy of like the world isn't very complicated when rainbow six arrive they shoot the people (laughs) with uh guns uh, described in incredible detail (laughs) by a man who loves his guns um and that the bad guys are down and that's it and that that's a it's it's kind of i mean there's i was about to say there's nothing wrong with that fantasy there's plenty wrong with that fantasy (laughs) Plenty, plenty, plenty. Mm. But as as taken purely, if you're 13 years old and you're reading it and it's just like some stupid action movie mm. nonsense, it's kind of good fun. Yeah, I think I I think there is there are some interesting sort of uh, global what ifs that he poses that mm. are that are then worked out with some uh, real politic involved. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't. It's a bit of intrigue. Yeah, I know. It's a shame that the games have increasingly kind of veered into sci-fi because i don't think that's really where that material is designed no. to sit um and often often the games are just very kind of uncomplicatedly um booyah yeah for sure they've gone to call of duty territory yeah yeah whereas they could have been a bit more complex and in fact the only uh, i've been meaning to write something recently about like how much i miss the co-op for rainbow six games um rainbow six oh, vegas yeah. stuff like that um, I mean, were, Siege is amazing, actually. Siege is amazing. It's a fantastic, fantastic game. And it's a, an example of a game that is, uh, it's very 2019 in, in that it's a service game and it, it keeps on evolving, but it's an, it's an excellent sandbox. Hmm. A really cool sandbox. But I do miss the co-op Rainbow Six games, like, yeah. like Vegas. The, the ability to be on split screen or be in different, on different consoles and be like, well, one person puts the kind of, cool camera gadget mm-hmm. under the door counts the terrorists marks them for you you both burst in take them all down that is an excellent video game fantasy that has gone by the wayside i think and that's sort of yeah that's well yeah 
I'd, uh, yeah, I hope I hope there is another Splinter Cell being made. Yeah, same. <laughs> but I hope it's yeah. Mm, I'd love another bit of co-op Splinter Cell oh, action. Co-op Splinter Cell's excellent. Yeah, excellent game. Uh, talking of excellent games, do you have any other excellent games you want to talk about before you move on to questions from questions? That's a good fancies, questions from questions. question. Um, uh, are there any shooters you've enjoyed this year? Particularly, I feel like that genre has gone quiet. No, for me, like um, RPGs are doing very well. We've got Disco Elysium. Mm. We've got loads of kind of great stuff. But I feel like shooters are kind of like like the RTS are the kind of dying off almost. And we've mm. got the Halo series coming back to PC. Yeah, that got released fact. today, didn't it? Actually, yes. Halo Reach. Yes, um, I was tempted is... to install that, but I wasn't sure whether I'd be forced to install some sort of <laughs> guaffle. <laughs> yeah, games for Windows bullshit yeah yeah, uh, yeah so um just out of fear of that i haven't installed it it might just you might just need the xbox app <laughs> as absurd as that seems yeah that's that's also maybe a step too far for me i've, <laughs> I've been i've been burnt by these things yeah absolutely Still. oh god yeah i, I, I remember getting dollar war 2 and gates widows live absolutely destroyed my ability to play with other people on that platform yeah absurd stupid piece of software <laughs> Yeah, no, I don't think I have. Also, I haven't been drawn to play them, I think, is the mm. significant change. Uh, I, I just, I, I mean, it's just, it's too grim. I mean, it's too grim, really. Oh, if it's not grim, then I feel it should be grimmer. And, it, <laughs> it, you know, it's, it's, it's exactly what we were talking about earlier. They're sort of stuck between these difficult decisions where making something sanitized uh, and happy is actually a disservice to reality but then making something grim is also sort of basically uh, a pornographic enticement to violence i don't know i don't know what they can do but i just don't want a part of it often now yeah and yeah i I can't and things that exist in a sort of semi-fantasy space like zombie things i just i I just i'm not into Mm. Because I, I don't want to play something which is inordinately stressful. Like Chris was talking about um, uh, the Hunt Showdown, and uh, Jim Ross, an old friend of mine, works for Big Robot, um, is a big advocate of that game. Has been enticing us to play it. But yeah, it's a great game. It just—I don't really want to spend, you know, twenty minutes uh, with that much adrenaline in me, yeah. <laughs> feeling bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I want—I want nice things now in my life. Is it because we're now well past thirty <laughs> that these things have mm. uh, these things have faded as you know experiences that we desire? Frankly, we want to be relaxed and restful. And yeah, um, having said that, I do love Hunt Showdown. It's great. Um, I'm looking forward, I'd love to play it with Chris and uh, Jim. Actually, that'd be awesome. Um, incredible sound design in that game, by the way. Mm. If you've got a good pair of uh, kind of like surround sound headphones like it really places sound very precisely in the mm. environment all the time and um they're all all those sound cues are tactical they're, they all matter to your game uh because if you get close to some pigeons and they fly off it's probably not pigeons it's probably ravens <laughs> or something um that's gonna alert people but if you hear some sort of vomiting it's gonna be a weird type of zombie that you want to avoid so right. it all matters it all matters um, but it also creates this rich, horrifying land <laughs> soundscape that uh, you're trying to work through all the time. Huh. Uh, but yes, I understand completely that desire to just not be stressed out by mm. my entertainment anymore. And I've, I've felt this from horror games. Yeah. So, so I, was, I, I was playing a game called Aspilov, 
um, mm. which was... How do you spell that? A S. A S P U L O V colon something something something, but that word will get you there um, on Steam. And it's about the Norse gods, but in a kind of futuristic context. Hmm. And it's a fascinating, uh, it's a fascinating idea for a game where the Norse gods are dying, and the world tree is kind of like you see the roots protruding into this futuristic facility that you're sneaking through. Um, and the idea that like Loki might be hunting you or Thor might be hunting you. They're not the kind of jolly Marvel superheroes that you know. They are actually kind of Lovecraftian nightmare beings. Oh. Uh, and it's, it's a super cool idea, but I just couldn't stomach it because, um, I couldn't, the first time you encounter an enemy, they've got like weird stag heads and they sort of like stab you in the neck a load. And I was like, I actually sort of like, viscerally almost felt it myself <laughs> hmm. and i was like oh, okay <laughs> i can't do this anymore i can't do this type of game anymore and something has changed in me that means that i can't mm. let that stuff go like it's very strange do you think it's aging or do you think it is uh the the world uh and good uh, question good question um i feel like it's aging i feel like it's a kind yeah. of empathy unstoppable empathy right uh, that means that if I'm being stabbed in the neck in first person, I can't not feel that in some way. Right. And that is something that's changed in me in the last sort of five years. And that's not on the game. It's on me. Like that's, yeah. that's my thing. Is your body preparing you for children, Tom? Is that what it is? It absolutely is. <laughs> so I, 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 I actually, that's a really good point. I'm, I've become super broody in the last couple of years. Really? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that's kind of part of a kind of, biological process that's happening oh wow part of a kind of brain chemistry thing that's happening as well mm. um where suddenly you become averse to violence mm. preparing mm. yourself for obsolescence so your nutrients can feed the next generation exactly right and slide down and be digested by your all, young it's Tom. all i want <laughs> 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 it was a horror prospect but now it's a real prospect <laughs> no it's a, that's a real thing yeah for sure Shall we, uh, shall we do some questions? Let's do some questions. Um, this isn't a question. There's no question, question element to it. However, uh, it is largely about birds. So, uh, oh, it's, <laughs> perfect it's for out. this podcast. Um, Sam writes, hello, crate and crow cores. There is a very good LARP about crow, sorry, about crow funerals by Tim Hutchins <laughs> called appropriately a crow funeral. Um, it's very on point with the description you floated, uh, such that I doubt I'll be the only one contacting you about it. Well, I'm afraid <laughs> you were, uh, you have that special knowledge. Uh, it has one of the best rules for managing in-game communication I've ever seen. All the players stick hands on one atop, one atop another, after which they, hey, rule is in play. If a crow ever speaks while another another's hand is on top of the stack, or two crows attempt to speak over each other, or there is instability in the hand stack, or a crow begins speaking with an uncrow-like understanding of the environment, <laughs> all the crows should begin shouting, Hey, 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 until the situation is rectified. <laughs> if one crow hears another crow saying, Hey, they should take up the cry and repeat it until the problem is identified and solved. 
Think about the scolding and arguing of crows. This is what you're doing. Best Sam. <laughs> uh, oh, P.S. An alternative title for this game offered in the context is Cause of Death Unknown. Cause spelled C-A-W-S. Cause-caw. Yes. Which made me shudder with dark delight when I read it and just as much now when I type it. <laughs> so there you go. You've got any feelings about crow-based uh, role-playing systems? No. Um, I've listened to your bird chat with great interest. <laughs> On recent, <laughs> recent podcasts. Um, and my equivalent is squirrels that I oh, yeah. watch every day outside of the foul window. And, mm. uh, we, they're not hibernated yet. No, no, they're still out there. They're mm. doing extremely dangerous things. <laughs> they, um, so we're on like a big bath hill and out the back of our flat, we get an absolutely steep, massive view of a load of trees and squirrels must have the lightest kind of bone structure like that they must be so so light because i've seen them climb up twigs and then leap onto a tree and mm. just go right to the very top of the tree and go out and dangle on the very edge of the narrowest branch <laughs> and i was like you're gonna die you're gonna die if you if you fall <laughs> off here you're gonna die i don't know what is the terminal velocity of a squirrel maybe they can just uh they, they, they might are... be like spiders right yeah. where spiders just they can fall but they're like <laughs> so light that it doesn't matter uh but these squirrels gosh i've watched them <laughs> clambering all over and, and and sometimes like two of them will come up and they'll meet at the top of the tree and they'll sort of like tap each other's noses and then Aww. go uh, go off in different directions and it's extraordinary i love to watch it <laughs> nothing about crows though don't know about those crows. Oh. I, 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 i'm i'm into squirrels as two they you know they're good liquid they're good. fur what they are <laughs> yeah that's right bouncing through the that's right the grass Good animals, although they're not allowed my bird seed. The bird seed is purely for the birds. Correct. What do you do if you see a, a squirrel attacking well, your bird feed? Do you, the the do bird feed is, is attached to a window, so it's very difficult for the squirrel to get to. I gotcha. But given the speed with which my fat balls are being <laughs> devoured, um, <laughs> I suspect there may be some sort of intervention from a larger animal than a sparrow. Since they do go overnight sometimes. Some sort of fox. Well, no, it's again, it's like above the height at which any animal could right, reach right, it okay, from okay. either below or above. Huh. But maybe another kind of big bird is just swooping in. Maybe the seagull just comes in and eats the entire thing. American eagle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. Far from home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fat balls though. Sparrows love them. Uh, Nico writes very long email. Um, uh, largely about Jason Rohr. Dearest crawdads and crumb cakes. Oh, sorry, crawdads in crumb cakes. I don't oh. know what a crawdad is. Do you know what a crawdad? Are you a crawdad? I think that's a previous episode reference, but I'm not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> I've recently watched a GDC talk from 2018 titled 2014 versus 2018, the shape of financial success before and after the indie apocalypse. By Jason Ruhr, the developer of the Castle Doctrine and One Hour, One Life. Ruhr, I don't actually know how to say his name. Is it Ruhr? Ruhr? I like what you said. Ruhr. Ruhr. Makes the claim that indie game sales success has shifted from large day one numbers to long tail player retention and growth. He makes this case by comparing the Steam Spy numbers and his own experience with his own titles, showing that, one... Games featuring unique situation generators sell more than more fixed experiences, and that, too, the majority of revenue from successful indie games is coming later and later after launch. 
His theory is that even though the gaming press may give some boost to indie sales numbers, the greatest conversion rate now comes from word of mouth. Indie games like Spelunky or Slay the Spire or Dead Cells generate unique challenges that keep players coming back. And the longer a game is played for, in the play span sense of an hour a week for a year instead of the play time sense of 52 hours on one eldritch Sunday, <laughs> the greater a chance it has to stay at the forefront of the mind. And the easier it becomes to recommend or speak lots about on the PC gaming podcast you're featured on. Since word of mouth takes time to gain momentum, RAR saw sales peaking not on or shortly after launch, but instead several weeks or months later. The format of recommendations for particularly successful titles changes from have you played game to do you play game. He specifically calls out exceptional games like Tacoma, it is an exceptional game, or yes. Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, which is, which is a game, which received <laughs> ample press attention but failed to achieve corresponding sales and cites these market shifts as an explanation. There's two more paragraphs, Tom. Let's do it. How would you evaluate these, the case Roa makes? What do you think about how this might apply to AAA games with the hook habit, hobby, slash games as a service, slash lifestyle game model appearing to be more financially successful? This is a very difficult question to read out on air because it requires a sort lot. of a parsing in a written context but anyway what games fit slash break this mold early access it's a shame Tom isn't here may he RIP in peace <laughs> 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 because Gunpoint and Heat Signature not only straddle the area in which Roa claims the shift largely took place but also follow Roa's model of what successful indie games generally look like in each corresponding time okie dokie do darlings <clears throat> Nico Incidentally, I should say, I don't mind the length of the question. I'm just impressed that I managed to read it all you out coherently. You did so well. You did so well, Marsh. <laughs> uh, yeah. Interesting, many interesting things there. Yeah, that's a lot of points to account for. Yeah. The first thing I'd say, actually, is that um, as a member of the gaming press, we don't expect to shift the needle on game sales ever. That's not our job. <laughs> yeah. That, that That's not what we're here for, and we don't give a shit if <laughs> a game sells more, if we give it a good review or a bad review. Right. We're literally, literally just there to give that buyer's advice. And I, this, I, so many people get this wrong, like on, online, on the, the internet, the bad internet, um, where they think like, oh, if you've not sold games, you're not a good critic. That's not the purpose of a critic. <laughs> um, yeah, and that, that's tremendously frustrating take to see online. You're well, just part of the marketing machine, Tom. Face uh, it. Look, we, we all are, absolutely. <laughs> um, but it's possible to be part of the marketing machine, not give a shit about the marketing machine, <laughs> and say what you actually think. Yeah. And that's how you do your job. Yeah, it's interesting. Do you, but I mean, there has been a shift right in the way that game coverage works where you are, there has been a considered effort to talk about games over the course of their lifespan rather than just a launch because i think there was a period where there was a difficult moment in the games industry where we were talking about games at launch and actually were missing uh stuff that had become lifestyle games in the background like league of legends yes. basically wasn't ever talked about in the games press and then then suddenly it had you know millions and millions of players and we we're like oh and this on, is something we should have been covering. Yeah, we should have been watching this, right? And mm. um, also Minecraft and things like that. Sure. Is, um, is, uh, um, as the questioner says, lifestyle games mm. are a, cor a current present thing that um, 
but they're very difficult to cover, actually. Hmm. You need people in the community to come to you, and you need to commission people in the community to do that, which we're, we're trying to do on Gamer. But um, it's difficult because it's a still a niche interest. Yeah. Even though it might be a massive audience, it's a niche interest, and you need an expert to cover it who actually really, truly knows what they're talking about. Yeah, that's hard. And that's hard. That, that, that's what's difficult about it. Cause on, um, on Peace Gamer or on any, um, games media brand, everyone's a generalist. You have to be able to sort of have some understanding of almost every genre, uh, or, and not just that, the craft of actually making a magazine or a website. Right. All of that needs to be in place in, in the stuff you have. Uh, and what you have to do is reach out to the experts in, individual communities to actually cover these very, mm. very, very intense games. Uh, and that's the hardest part of the job, frankly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I, I, so the, the, there's a, a couple of things about, uh, Jason Rowe's assertions in terms of how the indie apocalypse have played out. I would, mm. I would hesitate to use his own games as an, as a good example of, um, how the industry as a whole has changed. I think he's generally correct in the way he perceives it, but I don't think his yes. games are a good illustration of that simply because, uh, although they're very interesting, they are incredibly idiosyncratic games and not uh, likely to engage with a large audience. But um, I feel as though they've been well covered as well. Yeah, they have. Oh, well, earlier games more so, I think. I think sure. he's sort of fallen out of the... I mean, there was a period where the indie like, darling, yeah, who who are we going to call from the indie community for this feature? Oh, yeah. Jason Rose on the end of the end of this email address, and now I don't feel like those kind of articles are being written anymore because That's the indie true. space is just vast. Um, so I don't think he has the same um, visibility and platform that he used to for any of his more recent games. But in terms of games moving from single play experiences uh, to um, things with longer term engagement. I think that is, that's definitely true. Uh, I, I think one of the reasons that roguelike, but I, I think there's, it's, there's a bit of chicken and egg there and that I don't think that the, for example, the popularity of roguelike games is simply a, a reflection of market trends to which, which fixate upon games, which are around longer. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily just it. I think also there is a, it's just a different way of developing games, basically, and mm. and, and uh, I think it's one that is more approachable to people with fewer resources at this point. Yeah, absolutely right. And I've enjoyed the fact that um, AAA developers with enormous resources have been making mm. very standard single-player games uh, this holiday season. So Outer Worlds mm. and uh, the Star Wars game. Seven out of ten, both. Yeah, I get it. It's 75 <laughs> for Peace Gamer. Um, they are absolutely bog-standard <laughs> Box standard sounds terrible, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, they, they are just quality holiday games that mm. are single player. No, uh, no kind of like tail. Yeah. I'm really you, glad you, that those, uh, the triple A industry is still making that stuff. <laughs> yeah. That, that's, I'm, I'm very glad about that as well. Uh, but you're absolutely right that if, if I was like a small indie developer with 10 people mm. or fewer, absolutely be trying to get that, uh, dead cells sort of right um rhythm of updates and constant changes to enemy types it's not but the thing is it's also not just about the updates after launch although that does obviously that is where your your sales come from is is being in the headlines for a long period of time though changes to the steam marketplace may mitigate that Mm. as a problem but the uh it's also about uh being in the news 
long enough if you do like an early access thing and you're constantly evolving then you still have you have a kind of lively community that's still engaged across the course of your early access um there are lots of advantages to having something that evolves and changes basically over a period of time not just after development but during development especially if you're doing some sort of crowdfunding or you're just trying to um get uh you know clout for want of a, a better word on social media mm. not actually obviously via clout because i know nobody who uses that <laughs> but just being able to constantly reinvent yourself and uh not not necessarily produce headlines but produce you know some sort of ineffable buzz about your game through yeah. screenshots or uh, updates is is essential to just remaining top of mind and i don't think that's necessarily a change about the way that games are sold um but it's definitely about a change about the way that they are marketed yeah um yeah that's absolutely true and the uh, the game's price has never been less relevant <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say um and i'm very comfortable with that i think that's cool i think i think it's yeah i think it's more of a recalibration from uh the idea that the, the games press is some sort of monolithic force that approves or disapproves of things to being fucking critics yeah uh, exactly. and which is what they always it, it were. always were yeah absolutely and that kind of the, the sort of the absence of the paranoia about mm. people being paid off or you know blah 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 etc cetera, etc cetera. like it that will go away if you know if the <laughs> the media just sort of like settles down and isn't this sort of machine that people think it is do you feel like there's less pressure for consensus now amongst the game press than there was absolutely that's that's obviously a good thing right absolutely yeah absolutely um when i review things uh, there was a point during gamergate where i loved reviewing for edge Hmm. because i didn't have my name on it right and that was actually so i guess got to review civilization and say what i really really thought about it (laughs) (laughs) and not have a you know my name on it and that was great because you don't get the death threats and the kickback mm. uh, and that's a real thing in this industry like um we don't talk about game game very much but it was absolutely awful for people working mm. in the industry like it really really was and um i'm lucky talking as like a white bearded dude yeah i'm sure we would have got it much worse had we been any other color or gender absolutely absolutely and people did get it worse. Yeah. And, um, it was fucking awful and so, so uncalled for. Like, <laughs> so, so wrong. It's so stupid. Um, but I think now things have settled down a bit. Hmm. The critical community is able to call out. So I think, um, Death Stranding, for example, is a really good example hmm. where, uh, some reviewers found it slightly repulsive and some reviewers found it to be transcendental mm. and all those reviews were able to express themselves and express that opinion right uh, i think that is a good sign for the health of the critical community mm. around games and um, i think that's come back this year and it a couple of years ago might not be able to say the same thing yeah yeah i think people would have been much more openly attacked for their positions on games whereas i don't think people really give a shit as much now if somebody expresses a different opinion to their own or maybe those people who would normally give a shit just aren't engaged with that they've gone somewhere else they've gone somewhere else yeah to their own little fucking cesspit that's right of anger yeah 
But whether whether this this trend of um, service games will continue is is interesting because with subscription services like Apple uh, mm. and with new uh, storefronts which are funding games completely upfront like Epic, it's much less need for you to create something which is successful over the long run if you're if you if you're being paid up front um good point. but i don't know long how i don't know how long that patronage will last i think that this is just a, a brief blip yes um and in fact once epic has established itself probably there will be less tasty inducements for games to be exclusive to it and i suspect that apple apple subscription service will start offering far less uh attractive deals to its its potential developers uh i don't i'm not i don't feel particularly optimistic about how um subscription services will affect development i feel like it will potentially starve uh developers who exist outside of that ecosystem and then once the ecosystem is locked in, there's no real incentive for it to continue to provide good value to its customers either. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, 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 I feel like it's, it's a, a weird spasm and I don't know what the, the kind of the repercussions will be for it. I think there will be some reaction to it in some other part of the market where some alternative will arise. Hmm. But I don't know what that that is yet. We're moving into an era of subscription services. It's terrible, though, isn't it? Yeah, because you, like as soon as that subscription ends, you don't have access to any of that entertainment that you paid for. Yeah, um, but I think it, it's almost a, a sign of people moving television models into games hmm. and desperately trying to impose the Netflix model. Uh, onto a gaming subscription basically do you think it works though i don't know i mean it's i currently it's offering good value but like i just don't think that that is sustainable good value either for the people who make content for it or for the people who imbibe it yeah i mean i don't mean like netflix (laughs) as a kind of Hmm. video uh proposition i would much rather pay five pounds to own a film that i want to watch (laughs) right than pay 10 pounds a month Hmm. to watch a lot of dross. Yeah. Um, but, but with some you, occasional good things. But you have the op- opportunity to do this to some extent, right? Not with Netflix, I don't think. So No, no, I mean, you can't pick their products and buy them, but I mean, you can, for example, buy or rent films from Amazon, which would be shown on Netflix. And I, and, I, I do often, yeah. Oh, you do? Okay, see, because I don't do that. I, I do I do use Netflix and, and just sit there scrolling through Lots and lots of stuff I don't want to watch and then eventually um, give up and, yeah. and uh, do something else. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> Netflix has good stuff. I, I love The Crown. The Crown is a, a great series. Yeah. Um, and that's really worth watching. Um, but most of their stuff is not like that. Hmm. But I'm very happy to go onto Amazon Prime and pay £7 to own a film that I know I will watch over and over again. Right. And I'm not sure that... I don't think I'm a very common... Um, I don't think many people buy media that way these days. Hmm. I think, uh, it, we're living in a fascinating time where when I was 12, the first piece of music I bought, I bought on cassette. And <laughs> what an extraordinary 
journey Vida has taken. <laughs> what was the first? What was the first cassette you bought? Oh, it was um, <laughs> it was a. Uh, if you tolerate this, your children will be next by the Manic Street Beach. I mean, that's a legit it's kind a of fucking great track. Lasting choice. Mine was Simpsons Sing the Blues, <laughs> which I think is in obviously just as a lasting piece of uh, entertainment. Look, uh, before that, I was given um, PJ and Duncan. <laughs> uh, so I can't claim any sort of artistic superiority in this contest. <laughs> There, there's some uh, very good um, blues <laughs> tracks that are... That Look, are... They had Let's Get Ready to Rumble. <laughs> and that's all I needed when I was uh, <laughs> pre-teen. <laughs> um, but the idea that, like, we've come from that to where we are now is astonishing to me. I think about it a lot. Like, hmm. just the sheer progress of technology is really exciting. It's really great. But yeah, so terrifying. Yeah, it's mad. Bad. That, you know, access anything at any time pretty much is, uh, I'm always so ungrateful for it. Yeah, <laughs> <right>. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Sitting on a plane, you're like, oh, I can't, can't connect to the Wi-Fi. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, yeah. Well, 30,000 feet yeah. above the fucking earth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Did that answer the question? I don't even. I don't know. Care. <laughs> 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 Sorry. Um, what was the question? Uh, it's too late. Yeah, it's gone now. It's too late. Sorry. <laughs> and we do have other questions, but they specifically require answers from other people of this podcast. Yeah, really, it's true. Uh, people with children, uh, primarily. Um, so yeah, we can't answer them. It's a two-man podcast, so you know, it's, it can't go on forever. We have so many takes. <laughs> Uh, yes, if you'd like to send us more questions, you can do so at questions at creatingcrowbar.com. You can tweet us at creatingcrowbar. You can watch this, if you wish, on YouTube, which is youtube.com slash creatingcrowbar. You can join our Discord community, the link for which is sound, found on our website, creatingcrowbar.com. Uh, individually, you can contact us should you wish, though probably don't, <laughs> via Twitter. I'm at Marsh Davies on Twitter. You are. I am at PCG Ludo Aludio. Thanks for, thanks for being here, Tom. Especially evening. We didn't drink all the whiskey. We drank half of it. Oh shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe even two thirds. Yes. Oh god damn it. Enough. Thanks Thanks for for listening, listening, everybody. everybody.